Welcome to Storytelling. This week's guest is a six times cancer survivor, having battled an aggressive form of cancer over a six year period. He is now a life and wellness coach with a focus on self-empowerment and self-healing to coincide with World Cancer Day, a day that unites people, communities and entire countries to raise awareness. He shares his transformative story and experience of what he learnt as a cancer survivor. Please welcome Dan Hedridge. Hello, Dan, and welcome to the podcast. Yes. Hi, Debbie. This is a great opportunity to share some of my experiences that I've had with life, obviously with love, and hopefully some of the listeners will get something out of it as they sift through the information or the stuff we talk about that they could find a golden nugget that they could apply to their own lives. Thank you. You have experienced cancer six times. What have you learned about life through that experience? That's the ultimate question, isn't it? what's life about? What is it for? And in that process, the moment I was diagnosed with cancer, the moment I went into Dr. Lawrence Cloud's office at 29, seeking why am I so sick at 29 years old? And he gave me a powerful question. He said, Dan, how did you get into the business of cancer? Wow. Yeah. And that was a very powerful question because it really went to the core of my being where I took the question and asked it internally and said, Dan, how did you get here? And my mind went to seek the answer and it showed me the ways that I had initially, it said, if I was living more Christ-like, would I be here? And the answer was emphatically no. Now, don't take that as a, a coming home Jesus you know, moment, but it was an eye-opener that I wasn't living my true authentic nature as a child of God. And I wasn't living as the author and creator of my life. And so that question prompted me to say, whoa, if I created this, I could create wellness. I just have to learn how to do right, how I've done wrong. So then it just showed me all the ways my mind was really wrapped up in emotional dishonesty, emotional illiteracy. I didn't really have a real good emotional well-being. And that led to behaviors that were to suppress and repress those emotions that were not so healthy. And they were actually, I call it, they were deposited in my cellular memory banks as an emotional debt. And so cancer was an expression of that emotional debt wanting to be paid off. What do you mean by emotional dishonesty? I didn't have an understanding of what I was feeling in the context of where the situation was aroused. So I wouldn't know if I was angry. I wouldn't know that my body was experiencing anger And if I was, I was not aware of it. Or if I was, I wouldn't admit to it. If someone said something that was hurtful, I say, ah, that's no big deal. That didn't hurt. That didn't hurt me. I was playing the man or I would be someone that would be holding my tears back if I was feeling sad. That's emotional dishonesty. And that played out. It played on a lot. Or another emotion, fear. I'm not afraid, even though I was definitely afraid of things, right? Yeah. 
And I'd have to drink alcohol. And then when I drank alcohol, I had that courage in a cup. I would hide that fear with courage in a cup. And most illiteracy was exactly what I was sharing previously, which was I didn't have an understanding of what I was feeling and how to express those in a healthy way. When someone tells you at any age, but particularly at a young age, that you have cancer, everyone responds in very different ways. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely a shock to the system. And I denied that shock, trying to play the competitive athlete sort of attitude and put my emotions to the side. You don't want to be emotional if you're in a war and the enemy is attacking you. You don't want to be emotional about that. I was married at the time and I didn't want to be emotional and show her my weakness. And it wasn't something I chose, right? This was not a choice. This was something that just happened automatically. That's what the way the system inside of me, the conditioning inside of me played out. And it was for the better in some ways because it allowed me to tackle the immense six-year stress of going in and out of hospitals and chemotherapy, radiation, bone marrow transplants, getting told my cancer went away. Oh, great. Celebrate. Oh, my cancer's come back. Oh, bummer. Shock. Oh, cancer's come back. Oh, shock. You know, here we go. So I did that six times to the point where I got into the psychiatric ward and was really in this place of this polarity inside of me of wanting to be free from the emotional turbulences and to answer that question fully, Dan, how did you get into the business of cancer? That desire to really anchor an answer to that was mixed with this old self who was victimized, playing the villain, giving up essentially on love and giving up on God, giving up whatever you want to call it. You could just call it the devil and and the goodness in me was battling it. And it got into so much of a polarity that I wound up in the psychiatric ward on my own accord. And I said, I have to learn how to love myself back to well-being. The self that I want to be in the world, the self that has no pain, the self that has no worry. And that brings us full circle, Debbie, to what did I learn? Because that was the question. What did I really learn from this whole turbulent period of my life? Was that the ultimate purpose in life is union with God in this lifetime. Not to die and go to heaven and then be at want. No, this is about coming into union with self now. And to do that, we need to get a good relationship with our masculine and feminine energy and have those unite in holy matrimony. So we've been duped by the churches that holy matrimony is something outside of us where I get married to someone outside of me and the two of us become one united sort of team. That's human love. That's not the love that I'm talking about. The ultimate is that we each come into union with our masculine and feminine energy in the presence of God and then we're in the union with God in this lifetime. Then we bring that into the world. Then we express that in our gifts to society, in our music, in our offerings to make this a better place to live and experience our humanness. There are a number of people who may have recently been diagnosed with some sort of cancer. What were the emotions that you experienced and how did you get to this conclusion? Well, I think it came from that question. And first of all, the the feelings I had were one of 
obviously fear, but that's reflecting back. At the time, I didn't feel anything. I wasn't acknowledging what I'm feeling. I just was saying to myself, be open-minded. I don't know what's going on. I was really sick and all things were pointing in the direction of cancer. But when I walked into Dr. Lawrence Cloud and I saw him standing up and we shook hands and he met me eye to eye and gave me that question, everything relaxed. There was a sense of, oh, I have purpose and meaning in my life right now. This is an opportunity. And nature's given me or God has given me this opportunity to do right by how I've done wrong to myself and others. So I had to navigating, how can I answer that question? And I was really left in the ocean of light to figure it out. There was really no one in my circle of influence that I could actually directly ask for help. <laughs> so they would think I was crazy. They would just say, just do your chemotherapy, have a drink and be good, be done with it. If someone is having cancer right now, there's two ways to approach this experience if you're receiving the diagnosis, which is cancer is happening to me and I have no control over this, or cancer is happening for me and I do have control over this. One is the disempowering approach. One is the empowering approach. So that question Dr. Lawrence Cloud gave me started the process of waking me up into becoming more empowered in my life. You eventually became more empowered in terms of your outlook and your perception. Yeah. And we could even probably say that it was latent. In other words, empowerment is inside of us. It's this yearning for joy. I mean, that's what we want. And we want to feel autonomy in our lives, that we have some dominion over our lives in the direction we want to go. And I think it's latent in everybody. It's stuffed down, it's programmed out of people so that they become victims. And so then they create a personality, especially when you're in childhood and you feel like people treat you like a victim. Then you create a personality around victimization. But deep inside, Every child is empowered. They want to explore. They are the best creators in this world. And then it becomes closed off or shut down because it doesn't fit mom or dad's perceptions of their reality or the reality they want to have the child. So the child isn't allowed to be themselves and explore who they want to be in the world as they are. Parents say, no, you got to fit into society this way. So that's where I believe a lot of our challenges come in our modern life is because our childhood could have been different if the parents were more conscious and had a union within themselves so that they had more attunement with their own emotional intelligence so that the child could be seen, felt, and heard as they are, not shamed, blamed, or made felt guilty for exploring who they want to be. So there was an awakening in yourself in that during that experience of cancer, you discovered who you are. When I got that question, it was now the call. Do I answer that question? And do I start to learn? Because it's a learning, it's a, it's a skill. Can I learn to become more authentic in this world? Meaning, can I become the creator and author of my reality? And in order to do so, I'm going to have to dig into the wounds, the psychic wounds that I may have experienced. And that was the la the next statement that Dr. Lawrence gave me. I might be going around in circles here. People hold, hold on and it'll come full circle. The second thing Dr. Lawrence Cloud said after that eternal moment 
from that first powerful question was, damn, with a little bit of pain, you will grow stronger. And what I said in that moment, I'll do my part, you do your part. I completely took that on as a challenge to say, I'll enter the pain. Because entering the pain is a lot less painful than resisting it. A lot of people are okay with, if they break a leg, they can enter the pain of physical therapy to rehabilitate their leg. But if they have an injury to their psyche, conscious or unconscious, we're afraid to enter the pain of rehabilitating that. And it's the same thing. It's not any different except for our culture thinks that when you're psychologically wounded or injured, that there's something wrong with you as a character, that you're fundamentally flawed. I thought that was a really powerful statement that you said. Entering pain is more powerful than resisting it. Well, I think that's a cultural problem and a social problem, meaning medicine has been designed to take our pain away. And so hasn't the food industry. So many things have been taken away just to live comfortably. And so we live a life of ease and our life becomes harder rather than doing the hard things to make our life easier. So when I get tumors coming in my spine and growing out of my spine, the pain was absolutely excruciating. The best I could give, I was giving birth. <laughs> and that's the best. That's the best thing I could give as a visual. Not that I'm belittling birth because, you know, it shouldn't be so painful. It's just modern birth has become painful. This tumor's growing out of my spine and out of some bones was excruciating. It was cracking the bones, et cetera, and it was hitting nerves in the spine. I did not take any painkillers because I had to enter the pain. Because the pain has a message for me to live correctly. It sends me a message, how can I live more correctly? How can I find a way to develop a skill to rise above to a time and place where I'm free from this pain? I want to qualify that because people think that any pain they're going to try and muster out. And that's not wise. You have to use wisdom here and discernment on when you're going to seek palliative care. Now, my type of palliative care at the time would have been massage or hot baths or hot showers, uh, being out in nature. So I was using other things to help in the process that didn't have any major side effects, such as the painkillers or various other things. But then there's psychological pain that I endured. The psychological pain that you endured, can you describe that in a bit more detail? Yeah, it's the house of cards coming down. It's the false identity of the body-mind that I was now thinking that the material plane of living was why I was alive. That was the purpose in life was to, the man who obtains the most toys is successful. That's the program in some ways, right? The money, the glitter, the limelight, all the things that are, I think would be easy to say is from the false heart. And the false heart is full of the four basic greeds. The greed for lust, which we turn into love. We think that's love. The greed for power, which is actually force, that we use our force to obtain some sense of status or control. The need or the greed for fame, to be famous, popular, and then the greed for money. And so that's the false heart. So I was programmed into that. That's culture. That's our culture. That's the Western culture at large. And 
It's even influencing the Eastern culture. This whole idea of hedonic pleasure is the pathway. And as long as you can keep up that pleasure constantly, you're going to be successful. When I started to realize that that game was up, that's the psychological pain because I didn't know anything else. I was just really at a loss of trying to excavate it. And the first two things that I came down with, I just have to get my diet and exercise correct. Diet and exercise is really nourishment and movement. How did your diet and movement change during this period? So in 1995, my bone marrow transplant failed. Six weeks after I had an eight-month stint with this really aggressive bone marrow transplant. Now, when it failed, I didn't want to do any more chemotherapy. And my wife at the time really infused me with her essence, Dan, you have to do it. So her fear of me maybe dying from this really put her life force into me. It was kind of like the paddles on a heart attack patient, you know, to get the heart revived. So she was really there giving me the paddles from my soul revival to try and do something. So I said, yeah, okay, I'm willing to do it, but I have to build a body and I have to get my diet and exercise right. And I changed that into nutrition and movement. And as a sidebar, diet, people are misunderstand what diet is. They all get this idea that it's a restriction on food. Diet at the bigger picture, the holistic picture, is everything that you put into your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, and on your skin. 68% of what you put on your skin, you're eating it. So all this personal care items that people have been bought into and sold on for the hedonic pathway, the victim pathway of life, you're eating that. You're eating your makeup. You're eating your shampoo. You're eating your lathering lotions and potions to make you feel like you're fitting into society. Same thing with whatever you're watching. What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you breathing in? How are you breathing? So diet is a much bigger picture, and that's why I call it nourishment, because everyone is on a diet, but that does not mean it's nourishing. I don't think many people would have looked at nourishment in that way, and it's certainly food for thought. I had to reflect on this, and I had to nourish the self that I wanted to become. Who did I want to become? I wanted to become absolutely optimally healthy to the best I could from the damage that all that chemotherapy, radiation, medicine, psychiatric treatment, stress, et cetera, in that six-year period. But don't forget, I had 29 years of coming into adversity from my childhood and all the ways that I malnourished myself. I just kept nutrition and movement, nourishment, feminine energy. I had to cultivate a feminine energy within myself, the divine feminine, to nourish myself so I didn't have to lean on everybody else to nourish me. So what to you is good nourishment? Well, let's just do the concepts because the concepts are more powerful than the how-to. There's so many methods and everybody who has created any kind of miracle or changed their health around has done it their own special way. Their how has been the way. Why was I trying to nourish myself is important. But the real basics for nutrition is you have to learn to live more in accordance with nature's laws. And we are distant from that because of our modern domestication. We have become imprisoned by this modern world to a more or lesser degree. Movement can help 
with nourishing ourselves if we understand movement. Primal movement, getting your ability to move from our primal movement patterns and getting those online are very, very important for our natural human body. And the primal movement patterns are your ability to push, pull, twist, bend, lunge, walk, and squat. So Dan, you've given us a lot to think about. What is the key takeaway that someone listening should really be thinking about? I think generally speaking, everyone needs to understand that self-love is the only absolute love. And self-love is something that you need to cultivate internally within the person or the being you want to become in the world. Love the future self that you want to become. Have the self-mastery to exercise those actions and behaviors and habits that are going to bring you towards who you really want to be in the world. Say yes to your true self and who you want to be. Say no to the person you don't want to be. And Dan, can I ask you, how are you now? Good. I'm 22 years free of cancer. My health improves every year, physiologically. I'm getting younger as I get older. That's really great to hear. It really is. Dan, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story and your perspective with us. You've certainly given us food for thought. You're welcome. This is a spiritual responsibility is to do my best to make a difference in the world by making a contribution to the eradication of chronic degenerative disease as part of the human experience. And the problem with that mission or vision is I can't do it. I can only do my part. And everyone else that has to get on board, stop realizing that this domesticated, entertaining life is actually creating the problems that we see in the world. If you have been affected by this episode and would like further information about Dan, then please follow the links in the show notes.